0: Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father, and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. In the presence of God, we we often feel strong, we feel invincible, and... Um, it's, it's normal that we just want to start my slide this morning we really feel invincible it feels as though nothing can stop us but I think we all are aware of the fact that more than we would like to met at times when we don't feel unstoppable we actually feel insufficient I want to ask you maybe if you can slide that that slide for us when last did you have a dream where you woke up in your dream and you went to work, and all of a sudden in your dream you realize that that you are absolutely naked or maybe still in your pajamas? Don't, don't raise your hands. When last did you have a dream like that? Or another dream, I don't have a slide for that one, when last did you have a dream where you are defending yourself in public or defending yourself against an enemy and you you give it your best shots, you fight your best shots. You you give every single ounce of your energy in your dream and you're fighting this thing and even if you're next to your wife, she would often be the recipient of your your punches. But in your dream, your punches have no power. They're just insufficient. They just don't have any punch behind it. You, You can't seem to overcome your enemy in your dream. When last did you have a dream like that? Because those dreams are often indicative of our subconscious fears, of our thoughts in our head where we we realize that there is something for which we are unprepared, insufficient, not big enough, not strong enough. There is something that that simply you can't overcome. So many times these dreams are sadly not only dreams but are often indicative of a reality in our life where we are unprepared for what we are about to face. Now, there are many stories in the Bible that speaks into this. You could think about the five or the ten virgins without oil, or you could think about pitching at Jesus' wedding feast without a gown. There are many stories in the Bible, many accounts in the Bible, that speak into this being unprepared for something which God intends you to be prepared for. And, but I think the best one is the, the book of Judges. You know, So the book of Judges starts with Joshua having conquered having led the people of god into the into the promised land now think about this this generation of people who entered grew up in the wilderness with the hope that 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 is the only thing that keeps them alive the hope that one day this will end this desert dwelling will end this constant vulnerability in the desert this constant constant um, not living in less than prosperity, living in less than the fullness of God, living in fear, living in, in discomfort. And they knew that there, is something, there will be a day when they will enter into this promised land. So, so track with me on this. And then one day, the announcement is made that Moses has passed away, Joshua is your new captain, your new, chap, your new champion. And then three days later, they walk through the Jordan on dry foot, the wind literally blowing away the the water and flood season. And then they conquered Jericho, that stronghold, that massive, massive stronghold by the power of God. And then they conquered a few major strategic forts, strategic settings. And they walked for a while and went on a bit of a quest, to conquest. And then at one point, Joshua gathers the people of God together saying, tribes of Israel, according to the promise which God gave through Moses, here are your allotted portions of land. And he gives it to them, names it out, charts it out on a map and gives it to them. And then he says, I'm going to pass away. And then he passes away. And then the tribes of Israel come together and they ask, so who will go first against the Canaanites? Who will be the ones who champion? Who actually will possess the land? Because now we are in the land, but we haven't possessed it because the enemy is too strong for us. We've seen God's power. And then... As it takes up there, Simeon, after the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, see, watch, check this out, watch the space. I have given the land into his hand. And then, not on the screen behind you, but then Judah says to his tribes next to him, Simeon, and says, Simeon, why don't we pay up? Two is better than one. Then we first go and conquer your bit of land, and they did, and they conquered the land of Simeon. And then after that, they came again, and he said, and then they said, well, let's go up now to Judah's allotted land. Let's let's clear that land. Let's possess that land together. And they did go, and we see it here. Verse 18, Judah also, after capturing Simeon's land, captured Gaza with its territory, Ascalon, Ekron. These are major cities, fortified cities in the mountains, major fortified cities with giants in them. And the Lord was with Judah, and he took possession of the hill country. But, see the massive contrast there. But, couldn't drive out the inhabitants of the plain, because they had chariots of iron. I don't think there's a verse in the Bible that is a greater paradox, greater oxymoron than this one, greater shock. The Lord was with Judah, the tribe of Judah, to inherit the promised land. His presence is with them. He has shown his power in the wilderness and provision in the Jordan River. He has shown his power over the elements when Joshua prayed and the sun and the moon stand still. He was with the Lord against Jericho, was with the Lord in all those things and these massive cities, fortified cities. And then it says, but couldn't conquer the lowlands, couldn't conquer the plain because they didn't have iron and chariots. And you go like, what? <laughs> this doesn't make sense. It's one of those strange things. And I wonder how many of us can identify with this. I wonder how many of us can identify with this, the Lord's provision and power in your life, the Lord setting you on a course for your life, the Lord moving with you on a course. There's something moving, and you've seen God's miraculous power in hand in a few things. But then you get to this one thing in your life, and you don't have what it takes. You've seen God's conquering in so many things, but there's this one thing where, Afrikaans eternity. You simply just don't have what it takes to conquer this one thing. You, you've seen them you know the word of God, you hear the voice of God, you are God is with you. But you don't have iron chariots. Now, in this context, iron chariots, what's the issue with the iron chariots? The issue with iron chariots is the Canaanites had them and the Judeans didn't have them. That's as simple as that. Iron chariots are armored plated chariots of horses. So Today it will be like walking up, it's a bunch of riflemen walking on a on a savannah on a plane and all of a sudden there's a platoon of trank, tanks coming against them. Now the end of that battle is already written before it starts. Why? Because of the armor piercing, the defensive power, the strength, the speed, the agility and the firing power, exactly the same. Footmen walking with bows and arrows and spears and hammers and stuff up against Iron chariots is never going to make it. They will never win the battle. There might be one or two bumps, but they will never make it because of the armor plating, because of the speed and agility, and because of the strategic advantage of fighting from above. So it will never, ever make it. Now, what's the issue with the planes? I mean, and this is what eventually did happen, and this is the backstory of the whole book of Judges. The backstory of the whole book of Judges is the fact that the iron chariots prevented them from taking the planes They did live in the fortified mountain cities which they conquered. The Judeans and all of Israel lived in the hill countries. They they were strong and defensive. They could never be driven out. They lived there. They, They inhabited the highlands, but they could never live in the plains. Now, the issue with the plains is this. The plains is, although you feel safe in the mountains when you're being attacked, you can draw away to the mountains when you're being attacked, but life happens in the plains. That's where agriculture happens. That's the lands. That's where you plant your grain and your wheat. That's where you plant your vineyards, your orchards next to the rivers and the valleys. That in the plains is where you do that. So agriculture, food provisioning, food security happens in the bottom. And we read over and over and over in the book of Judges, as well in the accounts of David and his mighty men and Saul and those men, that the issue is the Midianites, the Hittites, the Canaanites always went for the Grainlands to secure to plunder, so they would plant their stuff. But when harvest time, they would be happy to have them plant the stuff. But when harvest time comes, the enemies would come, the barbaric tribes would come and just raid it all out. So that means food security is an issue. You will always live in lack. You will always live in lack until you conquer the plains. Another thing is trade routes. Trade routes are down in the plain, connecting the cities, connecting you to other nations. So, and this is what we see in the book of Judges, we see that the the people were poor and couldn't really prosper, couldn't do that. Imagine a Jew not being able to trade. I mean, that's just bad. That's just bad. The Judeans, they couldn't trade in those days because the trade routes were controlled by those who had the chariots and the plain. So they could never ever capitalize on what they have. They could never ever Conquer the market economy because the the charioteers, you know, they just kept you from actually trading. And whenever you wanted to trade, they will just plunder your goods on the way or tax you. And that's eventually what happens. They tax them. Because eventually the only option, not conquering them, what the Judeans did do and what the Israelites did do is they simply just partnered with them. They made a peace treaty which cost them a lot of money. They were taxed heavily. They were always oppressed. They were always taxing them. The third thing is just I want to mention here is nation building. And something that we see in the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, Israel was just a bunch of tribes living separately. Every tribe did what, and that's the theme. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes because there was no king. There was no unit united Israel until actually David came. Saul and then David came, united the tribes. And the reason is because the, in the plains, the charioteers prevented them from actually having a united nation. A united nation, not that united nation, anyway. But they prevented them from actually having a united, to build a nation. Because they couldn't feast, they couldn't do anything like that, they couldn't build a cohesive whole because in between their cities, there were a bunch of city islands in the mountains in the sea of Canaanites on the plains. And that's eventually the issue. So that's the issue with the plains. And for many of us, we can identify with this. Having moments in peace and words and presence of God, but not really making the impact in the world which we sense we should, which we believe we should. We have these moments with God. We've got these isolated moments and we have got a living with God and God's presence and God's people. But in the planes where it really matters, we feel exposed, unprepared, <laughs> don't have the punch that we should have. Our dreams are lived out in the plains. So I want to live this with you. I want to quickly show you how do we apply this to ourselves. It will be a brief message now, which we can work out in the weeks to come. But the first thing, I wonder whether you can identify with this. Maybe the next slide, Mackie. Thank you for helping me this morning. Reading that text again in the week and meditating on it, I try to imagine what these Judeans would feel like. These people who've seen the power of God who live, they are people of promise. They live towards a goal. They live towards something. And, and everything in their life is about that, that, that we will have a land flowing with milk and honey. We will be a people where the glory of God is seen. We will be a nation blessed by God. People will see that we are God's covenant people. And everything was on track for that. I mean, since the moment that Joshua lets guests walk through this river, from that moment onwards, everything was projecting in that way. Everything was going in that way. Their promise was being fulfilled until they came to the plains and they couldn't conquer the Canaanite charioteers. Until that moment, everything was going well. And a sense of massive disillusionment, I think, kicked in. It's like, I thought God was with me, and clearly God is with me. But apparently, God being with me—and this sounds weird—is not enough for this battle. God is sufficient. Apparently, I'm not. Apparently, we not. And it's a massive disillusionment. It's a massive this disillusionment with the shame and the fear that kicks in because now there's an enemy too big for me. Up until now, I was unstoppable. Up until now, I was walking with God and David and Goliath, and, and now it's me. Now I couldn't do this thing. Until that point, everything was amazing, but then disillusionment kicks in, which brings us to doubt, because all of a sudden, I realize that maybe my dream will never even be fulfilled, and then the questioning kicks in, the doubt kicks in, and I wonder whether you can identify with this, the doubt of actually, in this bewilderment, the doubt that maybe maybe God never said, that first one, the first serpent line in, de- in, in Eden. Maybe God never said that we will be on top and not beneath. Maybe God never said that the promise that we will be able to drive out our enemies. Maybe God never said this. Maybe I'm not good enough for this. Maybe, maybe this was all my vain imagination. And eventually what happened to Israel is, I think happens over the past few years I've seen, happens to many of us. You were going somewhere, But then eventually you just decided that this is the life I'm always going to have. This is me, settling safely in the highlands. This is me living in those mountains. And the best I can do is just to protect my family and my people here in the highlands. And my best that I can do is just to hang out. To hang out here until I die and then everything. Let's let's live contently with what God has given me. Let's be here. Let's stay safe. This is me living in, in my highlands. And I will make a peace treaty, because that's the only way I can plant and provide for my family, is to somehow make a pact with this world that I'm living in. That's the only thing I can do. I can't do anything but that. And maybe maybe them inviting me to their feasts, to this peace treaty, is not that bad. And this is the story, this this disillusionment, is this scene sets the whole of the book of Judges. Because the book of Judges is all about the Canaanites could not be driven out, therefore... Israel made a pact with them, a peace treaty with them, and get this. Always compromise apostasy. They started living with them, intermarrying, worshipping their gods, which led to oppression, which led to them crying out to God when the pain was too much and they couldn't bear it anymore. And eventually God delivered them. Samson, Gideon, Yephtar, all of those judges, that's the same pattern. Chapter 2, verse 11 to 16, sets this whole pattern. Why? Because Israel did not have iron chariots. Israel did not have uh, That's the whole story. Israel didn't have iron chariots. Can you see the result? Because they could never, ever conquer it. They could never make it on the plane. I wonder whether you can identify with the sense of being stuck, abandoned by God, frustrated, unable to conquer one thing in your life, the one thing, the one thing that you must conquer. What's that one thing? The one promise which God said you're going to be, and you saw it going that way and you stop. I wonder whether that's that one thing in your life. I want you to live with this, because the story in the Bible is for us. Because we are a people of promise. Let me tell you the steak, maybe the next slide. The steak, and I I had a bit of a punny there. Uh, the previous one, please. It's like a, a missed steak. That's most the problem with being a vegan. It's a missed steak, anyway. But this mistake is spelled differently. <laughs> it's the mistake in the ground which you could never place in. It's that stake where you could never place in the ground that I've conquered this place. And the place is the plains where the, the only fulfillment of the promise is the land of flowing milk and honey is right there in the plains. And it never happened in the time of the judges. It never ever happened in the time of the judges. Let me just pan out because this is what Israel missed. If Israel's safety and prosperity was God's only concern in the promise, then it would be a little bit bad if they didn't make it. But it would be okay because he did preserve them and he did protect them and every time they cried out he did save them again and again and again. But this is what Israel missed. And that's why stopping to fulfill the promise, I have to preach faster now, but stopping to fulfill the promise was the big issue for them. Because this was not just the land flowing with milk and honey and the land promised to them was not just for their comfort and their fulfillment. The whole goal was always for Israel to be a light to the nations. And you read that throughout the promise, throughout the law, and especially in Isaiah, where God says, listen, I want to do what I've always wanted to do. I want you to make you a light to the nations. I want everyone to see, I wanted to save you for myself. A promise, saved you from Egypt, from slavery and oppression. Now that you know what that feels like, never do that again. Save them, bring them into this land, conquer people too mighty for them, put them down in a nation so that everyone can come from all over and see that this is what God had always intended with humanity. Israel, a light to the nations. This is what God had always intended for the nations, that you may see what God is like. That was the goal always for people to come. And so in Solomon's time, there is a glimmers of this, where the kings came from all over to view the glory in Hezekiah's time. It was a time where people came to see something about the glory that God had for Israel. And Israel's issue was, Judah's issue was, in the time of Judges, that they walked away from something which was really difficult for them, something which was insurmountable for them, and they decided to let's make peace and not go there anymore. So they walked away. So the cycle of oppression, and you can see easily why they fell into into idolatry. Because they were disillusioned whether God was really the God who wanted good for them and who promised this for them. So it's easy to turn to other gods when you're disillusioned, because this one, oh, I missed it here. They so would look to something else. And also they missed their whole identity, because they forgot that they were a kingdom of priests to show forth the glory of God, which is the scripture up there which Peter quotes, re-paraphrases, three scriptures bringing together to say, church, this is what you are. Church struggling, battling against Rome, this is what you are. Remember that you are to embody what God's purpose with humanity was all about. So Israel walked away from fighting the plains because it was too difficult and too insurmountable for them. And eventually they decided, let's not go there anymore. Let's just live for peace, for my comfort. What's more comfortable for me now? just wanted to show you that. The pain was too much. They walked away. Unfulfilled promise. I want to ask you the same thing. When it comes to your promise, to your life, the dreams, what you carry in your heart from God, I want to ask you, do you see that it is part of God's redemptive purpose for creation. You know, many times as Christians, and I've seen this over the years, we're afraid of vanity and pride, and, and it's, it's, it's good. But sometimes we walk away from ambitions and promises which God gives us, which is for His sake. And I'll, I'll get back to that later. But it's for His sake. We're, we we're afraid of something when it comes to position and power, which has a certain prestige in this world. We're afraid of those things because, like here, we we don't can't see that it really is about God's glory coming, bringing peace to the plains in this world, bringing peace to the plains. Mm -hmm. Moving on, I'll cap. I'll bring it back. I'll bring it all together now. For those at home, I hope you're staying with us. I sometimes forget that you are there, but it's good to see you. Thanks. The last one. So. This text to us is a mirror we can identify with the pain, with the issue. This text to us is a window showing something of God's purpose and God's glory and the consequence of walking away from from this promise of God. And this text to us also presents us with a door, an invitation to respond to God. It invites us to respond to God with our own thing. So, you know, it's amazing that the only thing, and I've said this, but I want you to get this, the only thing that prevented the Israelites to conquer in the plains were iron chariots or something similar. It's really that simple? Now, sometimes we think that is a very big ask for them, but for a people gifted by God to make the most glorious tabernacle and later the temple with awesome architecture and awesome and then you'll see that God especially gifted Israelites with the gift of being blacksmiths, metalwork, woodwork, and all those things. They had all those gifts, and they used it to most build the most prestigious mobile temple in the wilderness. And they had oxen, and they had carts, and they had stuff. So we're transitioning from that gifts that they used for worship to something that is useful to liberate the plains was not a massive shift, was not a massive shift. was a small transition with gifts that we did have to make the most glorious artifacts in the temple. From metal and all this wood to making something to liberate the plains was not a massive shift, but somewhere in their heads the sin of presumption walked in. That when I walk around Jericho, everything will fall around, and that's the pattern that we'll always have. That was sufficient for the highlands. That it was not sufficient for the plains. I think sometimes wonder when the own heads as well, the sin of presumption keeps us from fulfilling a promise. And we're waiting, and I've seen this over 20 years in my own life and in a pastoral ministry. That God gives a promise, so we passively wait for God to fulfill his promise. And God is passively waiting for us, actively waiting for us to take a step of faith, to actually do what is required for this whole thing. God said to, it's the most unspiritual thing, which is the most spiritual thing. He said to Noah, Noah, I want to save the world. Noah, I want to save you and your family. Noah, I want to save my creation. Noah, you're going to have to build something which you've never built before. I want to help you to build your ark something that's never been seen or anything done, it is an extremely practical task, an extremely practical task that brought salvation to the whole world. Very practical task. It's the same type of thing that we see in the widows, and we can give 50 examples here in Scripture, but when God wanted to do a miracle of multiplication and provision for the woman that spoke to Elisha about the little bit of oil that she had, her children are up for slavery, and she can buy them out, but she doesn't have the money to pay the debt, And he said, what do you have? She said, well, I've got a little bit of oil. And God said, okay, okay, that oil is great. But you're going to have to do something first. In faith, you're going to have to prepare for this miracle, a massive miracle. So what will your preparation be? Very simple. Go get all the pots and pans and stuff that you can find from your neighbors. And she got it. And the miracle of the multiplication of oil was only possible when there were receptacles, when there were containers to receive them. It's a very simple thing. And I believe that many times, like in this case, it would have been the same thing. Did God say, I want to give the land into your hand, the enemy into your hand? He said so. But God said, "Mm, you did not have what it takes. It's a very simple step. You know, three times, God is speaking to us about a time of um, preparation, a time of repositioning ourselves. Maybe you can just put the next slide up there, Mackie. I'm going to wrap this up. But I can tell you that In the last 12 years, on two occasions, the Lord spoke to me personally as well. So I'm going to talk a little bit of my personal life and then pan it out a little bit. But God said to me, Ross, remember what I said to you. And God has been for the past two years reminding me, and I'm reminding myself daily, of what the Lord said over my life and about me personally. So it's a small part, but just me what God said I'm going to do and what I'm about to do and what I'm moving towards. And I'm reminding myself daily in prayer about those things because I understand that, that God is serious about the promises that he makes for us because the promises is not just about my peace, my prosperity, my like being a lacquer. It's not about my elevation. It's about him liberating the world from sin and from slavery and oppression. And if you are saved by Jesus, then I'm going to say the same is true for your life. You're not saved for your comfort. You're saved to liberate, to be part of God's clan, to be part of God's people who is about to inherit the promised land, the metaphor that we're referring to here. Your life is about bringing peace and making all things new. That's what your life is about. Peter said so. We are God's people, God's chosen people, God's holy kingdom of priests. We're partnering with him to make his glory known, to liberate the world. It's about making all things new. So the Lord said to me on two occasions, and I heard him clearly saying, reposition yourself, Ross, you have to reposition yourself. And on two occasions I understood that, and that required an extreme amount of work, just in training and thinking and studying and doing stuff. Because God is about to move, and at times he prompts you to reposition yourself for that thing. And the reality is without us repositioning ourselves, without us preparing for what God is going to do, we'll find ourselves facing chariots in the plain that we could never, ever face. It really means moving into a space of discomfort to grow yourself. And this is what this text speaks about. It's a lack of preparation that kept them from inheriting their possession, from possessing the land. It's a very simple thing. I'm to ask you about your promises and about the things that God has spoken over your life. Do you know them? Do you know what is outstanding? Do you know what God has spoken to you about? because the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable, just write them down, pray them through, and ask yourself, what types of chariots should you be able to build if you're going to fight that thing in the plains? Let me just span it out a little bit in the world. And um, this word was spoken by Pastor Fred May 20 years ago. And the last few weeks with God speaking about restoration, about repositioning, this word is ringing in my head the whole time. Because I really see that God is moving stuff. And he's moving, the the, the playing field is changing big time. And there are lots of discomfort, but in this discomfort there are so many opportunities. The world is really wheeling and shaking. And it's an opportune time to preach the gospel of peace, of righteousness, of joy in God. Because the world doesn't have what it takes to to deal with this crisis. But the gospel is sufficient. So, just in this, this is the metaphor that Pastor Fred used 20 years ago. The church today is much like Judea was back then. We have these places where we've established peace for ourselves, safety, church meetings, places, communities, where we feel safe, where we feel impenetrable, where we can experience God, where we see God's miracles, where we do miracles and we pray and God comes through for us and provision and power and things and identity and God brings healing and we've got these holy little hills and Sometimes I see what we do is all we want to do is get everyone that's on the outside of the hill up in the hill in the little place where there's safety. But out there in the world, on the playing fields of the market economy and provision, job provision, and the justice system, governance, business, all those massive mountains in the world, in the plains of the world, it is as though the church is wholly insufficient to change the patterns. Because the charioteers of this world are driving hard. And I really feel the Lord is inviting us to, at this time, step out into the plains. What is the thing that irks you most in this world? What is the thing that, 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 the crisis that, that, that burdens you most in this world? Chances are your promise is aligned with that. That God is inviting you to step with him, step out with him, to face those charioteers in this world. Because God is about to make all things new. His kingdom is coming. And this was the command that Israel's command was, make my kingdom come to this land that was known Canaanite before. Make my kingdom come here. And God is inviting us to do the same. I'm going to pray for us. While I'm praying for you, I want you to just look at at the grow groups that we're offering as a means. I want to ask you, what can you do, what should you do, What is most necessary for you to grow in this space, in this time? What is the thing that keeps you back? What is the one thing that keeps keeps you back from fulfilling God's promise? What is the one area in which you just find yourself never, ever conquering, never going forward? I want you to look at the list that we have. As a means, as a means to start preparing yourself to walk with God, to lead it on the plains where the Canaanites are ruling at the moment. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you, God, that we are your saved people. God, that you, you came to save us, God, from slavery, from sin. But, God, I know that you are inviting, inviting us to partner with you, God, so that your glory may be known, just, not just in our little small community, God, but your glory may be known in the whole of the land, God, that your peace may rest in the whole of the land, that this country in South Africa, God, and all around the world may be a place where righteousness, peace, and joy reigns. God, and our prayer is, Lord, in the name of Jesus. God, that you will blow with your spirit in our hearts and remind us of the passion of the promise that you've given to us. God, what are the things that you are inviting us into? And will you help us to respond to that in the name of Jesus, God? Invite us, God, to to have faith again in you, God, and faith again in what you can do. And God, I pray in Jesus' name that you will help us to build chariots that we may take the planes for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.